Say a heavy load like the millions didn't understand how to save your way to take my hand. Then one evening, as the song sank low, I heard a story of how he loved me so. Now I'm happy because he came to me and set me apart. He put his love down deep in my heart. I got a love, love down deep in my heart. I got a love down deep in my heart. I got a peace that passes all understanding. Got a new love that's never ending. This love I've got, so, so true. It's got a hold on me and it won't turn loose. I got a love, love down deep in my heart. I got a love down deep in my heart. I want to tell you, since Jesus saved my soul, that old devil is trying to gain control. So every morning before I start my day, I read the Bible take some time to pray that Jesus tells me he's my savior and friend and he will love me till the very end so if I trust him and obey him and do my part I have some love down deep in my heart I got a love love down deep in my heart I got a love down deep in my heart I got a peace that passes all understanding got a new love that's never ending this love I've got it's oh so true, it's got a hold on me and it won't turn loose. I got a love, love down deep in my heart. I got a love down deep in my heart. I got a love, love down deep in my heart. I got a love down deep in my yeah. I got a peace that passes all understanding. I got a new love that is never ending. Love I've got. It's oh so true, it's got a hold on me And it won't turn loose I got a love, love down deep in my heart I got a love down deep in my heart I got a love, love down deep in my heart I got a love down deep in my heart I got a love, love down deep in my heart I got a love down deep in my heart Way down deep in my Into the light when 
Somebody give our next level band a big round of applause tonight. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want you to remember that forgiveness is not for the other person. It's for you. It lets your heart off the hook. You don't have to worry about it any longer. I, I, I'm excited about tonight and, and, and being able to burn this for you. Because it's probably been burning you up a long time ago. You, some of you have been holding on to stuff for way too long. You might be hurt by a brother or sister in the church or out of the church or could be a mom or dad, could be a, a co-worker. I know Todd has had an a, a ongoing deal at his job and, and uh, keep him in your prayers uh, with that situation. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things, if, if we don't let it go, it'll destroy us. I see too many people being destroyed right now. So as this bucket comes by, Stand with me tonight as we pray over our offering. Stand with me tonight as we pray over our offering. Tonight we take up an offering for Pastor Collier being here. And I'm going to tell you something, man. He is going to be behind this pulpit in just a minute. And he, I pray that God just moves in a mighty way in him tonight. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. Why y'all sleep on me? Don't sleep on me. So, so as our men come tonight, slip this in the offering. And then I'm going to ask Carl when they take this up to separate these, and I'm going to burn these. Don't look at them. We don't want nobody to know. I had to ride on the front and back just to let you know. <laughs> I ran out of ink in my pen. No. I've learned to let stuff go. But sometimes it just hurts. Thank God for love and that everybody needs to be pardoned. Amen. Pardon for our sins that we may forgive those who sins against us. Father, bless our offering tonight. May we always make sure that there's enough for our pastors that come into town, Father. Lead their homes and their families and their own churches, Father, to come and help someone struggling, Father. Father, I heard a new song today, and I just loved that song. It was by, by Bradley, and it, was, and it was talking about, I'm going to come to the altar. Are you sure you want me? Are you sure you want me? I smell like alcohol, and I've done a lot of bad things. Are you sure you want me? Revivals like this let people come to the altar, and I'm sure that God wants you. If he'll take me, I know he'll take you. In Jesus' name we pray for this offering. Lord, let it be sweet in here tonight. Let your presence be filled. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, it is love revival, and I think it's so appropriate. Um, we thought this song was appropriate. It says, I give you my heart. 
you know, we, what a better time to give your heart to the Lord. You know, every day when I wake up, I want to die to my flesh and just say, Lord, take me, do with, do with me what you wish. Our hearts should belong to him every day. So just worship. Just get in, just get in worship. It's just you and God. Don't worry about anybody else around you. And just, just worship him and give him the honor that he deserves. Amen. This is my desire to Oh 
Man, we're going to be blessed tonight. Amen. Touch somebody and say, be blessed tonight. Hallelujah. Yes, do I? All right, good. See, I don't need this, do I? All right, don't need these. All right. Let me see what else. I don't need that. Brother Mark, what you been doing with a paper clip open right there? All right, I just wanted to know. All right. I want to I wanna share something with you before I preach tonight. Uh, my wife has been, uh, she's been with the Lord now a little over a year. My wife was a, a great music person, musician. She uh, taught piano, she taught voice, she directed choirs at our school and uh, sung specials and just did everything. And uh, when our children got old enough to start singing, well, she taught them how to sing. I have pictures in our revival meetings of Vonda standing on a little chair so she could get up to the microphone and singing with her mother. Wynn was never a great singer. He pastors now, and he's a good preacher, but he wasn't much on singing. He took that from me. But uh, my son called me, and uh, we have Wynn has our two grandsons, and Vonda, our daughter, has our two granddaughters. And uh, Wynn called me, oh, about a year ago, I guess, and he said, Dad, said, you're not going to believe this. Our oldest grandson, Wyatt, had been taking cello lessons. Now, when he told me that when, uh, Wyatt was going to take cello, I had to go look it up and see what a cello was. Looks like a small bass fiddle, but it's a cello. And uh, he said, you know, he, he got pretty good at it. Matter of fact, when, when called me, uh, I guess it was August. And Brother Mark, he told me that my grandson made first chair in the school orchestra for the cello. And uh, I said, that, that's great. Well, about, about a month and a half ago, Wynn called, and he said, Daddy, he said, the orchestra director uh, called us and wanted to talk to us, and Miss Guts, my daughter-in-law, went up there. And he said, Wyatt is doing great in the cello. But he said he's at a spot now that he doesn't need to take the summer off for lessons. He needs to continue. He said, the only problem is I can't rent you 
a musical instrument over the summer. The school won't let me do that. I guess people ran off with them or something, you know. Can't believe folks would do that. But uh, So he said, he said we need to buy him a cello. I said, that's good. He said, but Dad, my, right now my budget just won't stand it. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll help you with it. I said, as a matter of fact, when your mom would be jumping sideways right now that her grandson was first chair cello player. And I said, matter of fact, I said, I'll, I'll buy you, I'll buy him the cello. I said, you know, we'll let, just tell him it's his, his grams buying it for him. And uh, so I was out in Tacoma, Washington in a Bible conference. My friend Johnny Pope from here in Houston, Johnny was speaking also. And, and I was telling Johnny about it. He said, you know, said, my oldest son's a cello player. I said, yes. He said, yeah. He said, you, you're buying him a cello. I said, yeah. He said, you know, preacher, those things cost twenty, twenty-five thousand. 25000 I said, Johnny, that may be the Stradivarius kind of cello. We want the Walmart cello. <laughs> He laughed and he said, well, you, you can find used ones. I said, you better believe it. I may even get so convicted, I might steal one rather than pay that kind of money. But uh, I got back home and uh, Wynn called me and he said, Dad, the director called, and I can't believe this, said a lady that he deals in instruments with she buys and sells them all the time, came across a handmade cello. I said, 20, in my mind, $25,000. I said, who made it? You know, I thought it might be some big old Polish or Russian name or something, you know. And he said, well, Dad, I don't have any idea. But said, uh, I said, well, how much is it? And he said, well, Dad, it's, it's a lot of money. I said, I didn't ask that. I said, how much is it? He said, it's going to be about $1,000. <laughs> I said, all right, yeah. I said, yeah, we can handle that. I said, yeah. I said, uh, I'll buy that for him. He said, well, Dad, we're going to have to buy a case for it too. I said, don't push your luck, son. I said, all right. I said, uh, Mom and I will buy that for him. Well, uh, about two days passed. Now, I don't know if any of y'all do this, but I bank online. And about every two days, I go online just to see what checks have cleared and everything. Just that way. The only reason I do it is I don't like balancing checkbooks. So every two days, I balance my checkbook. So at the end of the month, I don't have to do it. And uh, there was a deposit there for $1,095 from Social Security. I said, that's not my money. That's not, that's not my amount. So, I, I, you know, I'm not real bright, but I knew I went down to Social Security there in Waco, and she said, well, I can't figure this out. The bank must have made a mistake. Well, I got in my car. I went right to the bank. And the secretary I deal with there, she 
Man, she looked at everything. She said, just a minute. So she called the main office in Gatesville, and, and the lady said, well, said, it's strange. said, it's Pastor Collier's social secure, uh, uh, name, but it's Miss Collier's social security number. And it was her last check that they had held all this time. And I called Wynn and I said, your mama literally bought that for life. Now, I told you that to, to, to tell you what I really wanted to tell you. If you're not careful, pastor gets up here and he talks about your giving. Let me tell you something. I, I know him well enough, and I hope I trained him well enough. We're not trying just to get your money. Can I be honest with you? If we were dependent upon your money alone to run the work of God, we'd have shut it. If God didn't do it, we'd close the doors. I had a guy one time, uh, I was telling Brother Mark about it, I had a, had a couple came in. Matter of fact, it was right after the, a uh, few weeks after the Greater Vision contest a few years ago. We always have to bring in extra chairs and everything. And, and my maintenance man, R.W., he forgot to take a, a row out. And so one Sunday uh, after church, one of my deacons said, who's over the ushers, uh, Brother John McNamara, he said, Preacher, can we take that row of chairs out? It's just so crowded trying to take the offering. I said, absolutely. I don't want to hinder anything taking the offering. And uh, so our, I mentioned to R.W. He said, well, Preacher, I just forgot it. I'll be honest. He said, I just forgot it. He took the chairs out that week. Well, the next week, an older couple came in, turned around, went to Brother McNamara, my head usher, and said, Preacher moved our chair. He said, what? He said, we've been sitting right there in that chair ever since we've been in this church. Well, that was a lie. That, that, those chairs only been there about three or four weeks, that row. And he said, uh, tell him we'll be back when he puts our chair back in here. So after service, Brother John didn't tell me before service. I'm grateful for that. And uh, I said, John, you're kidding me. He said, oh, no, preacher. He said, they said they wouldn't be back till you put the chairs back in there. I said, that, that's terrible. Well, I waited two weeks. They didn't come back. And by the way, they were Sunday morning Christians only. And, and one of these days, I'm going to get spiritual enough that I only need one service a week. I've been doing this for almost 54, uh, 53, 50 54 years and I can't get by on one service a week hey I'm going to let you on a little secret it takes me more than one physical meal a week to make it you want to lose weight eat like you go to church that's good preaching isn't it that's good that's good so I called him, and the man answered the phone, and I said, hey, this is Preacher. And I said, uh, I've been missing you. He said, won't be back till you put my chair back in there. I said, well, brother, I didn't know it was your chair. I mean, I hadn't seen your name on it. 
How many of those chairs did you personally buy? He said, you know what I mean. That's where we've sat ever since we've been in that building. I said, no, sir, that is not right. I said, those were put in there extra for the concert. We forgot to take them out. You've been sitting in them about three or four weeks. He said, well, I'll tell you this, young man. And he is much older than I am. He said, I'll tell you this, young man. He said, this church can't get by without our money. I said, well, brother, I don't know what you give. I don't know what anybody gives. But I said, if we can't get by without your money, we're in bad shape. He said, well, I'm going to tell you again. We won't be back. And I said, brother, let me tell you something. I've got people dying with cancer. I've got families about to split up. I've got young people that something doesn't happen. They're going to end up in jail pretty soon. I've got two or three on drugs. I've got families that are just weeping over their kids. You worried about a stinking chair? I said, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but unless God makes me, hell will freeze over before I'll put that chair back in there. So as soon as I hung up, I buzzed my secretary, Lou, and I said, can we get by without their money? <laughs> well, I had no idea what they gave. She said, $10 a week. I wanted to call him back and say, I'm sending all your money this year back to you. You know, $20. But God wouldn't let me do that. Then I'd have to go and apologize, and I don't like doing that. But what I'm saying is, we want you to be blessed. Stingy people never are blessed the way God wants to bless them. I, I, I want you to do something for me tonight. Would you do that? I want you to take your hands like this. And I want you to grip them as tight as you can. Just hold them there. Now, if you have arthritis, don't feel like you have to do it, all right? but hold them as tight as you can. That's really how we treat God with our finances. If we don't give, listen to me, by direction from God, God reveals to us what we ought to give. Now, open them up. Did you feel the release? When we have that kind of heart with God, open to Him, you better watch out. The Bible says you won't be able to take care of all that He gives you. Now the amazing thing is this, and I told Brother Mark this today at lunch. I pray about every offering that I give in a plate offering. I pray about my mission offering once a year. We do that at the end of this month. We have our Faith Promise Missionary Conference. By the grace of God, we're going to give just a little over $135,000 to missions this year, this mission year. I pray, dear God, what would you have me to give in missions? Now, I make it a matter of serious prayer because it's a faith promise. 
If I can figure out how I can do it, it's not faith. And what God has me giving to missions now is not what I can afford. It's what I believe Him for. Sometimes it scares me what I'm giving to missions. Especially when I want a new car, I want to uh, ever backslide and get a Harley or something, you know. Uh, I, you know, there are things, you know, I told one of my family, I said, he said, Bob, we can't afford a new car. I said, quit giving to God, you could. But then you wouldn't have it, it'd wreck. But I don't pray about that, but my my offerings, tithes and offerings. I pray about that every service. Tonight, I said, dear God, what do you want me to give tonight in the plate? You said, preacher, that plate offering was for you. I don't care. I want to make sure I get something. <laughs> I told Brother Mark, I said this, the old boy went and preached this church and came home and his wife said, they give you a love offering? He said, yeah. I said, I got $50. She said, well, that's not bad. He said, I gave $50 in the offering myself. She said, see there, if you give more, you get more. But I don't, I don't, listen, I don't give to get. I give to be blessed. One day there at Parkview, was getting ready to receive the offering. I pray for it, every offering. And, and uh, I was praying, dear God, what would you have me give? And, Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, give everything in your billfold. Well, I better try the spirits on this. Lord, if that's you, let me really know that. I didn't know how much was in my billfold, but I knew it was more than I wanted to give. Somebody asked me one time, said, when did giving get easy to you? I said, I don't know. It never has gotten easy yet. I'm telling you the truth. Dollar here, dollar there, five dollars here, five. But when God starts getting up into big dollars, just burns a fire out of me, just to be honest with you. I don't say, Lord, won't you speak to Mark about doing that? <laughs> so I said, all right. I, here's the excuse I gave him to Mary, I told the Lord this. I told Virginia we was going out to eat. Now, I don't like to put food on credit cards. That's just me. I don't care if anybody else does. That's just me. Because at the end of the month, when the bill comes in, I want something besides pounds to show for what I'm paying. <laughs> well, I got my bill fold out. I wouldn't even look. I was afraid it'd scare me. I just reached in there and grabbed everything. And I put it in my tight fist. I went up on the platform, thanked God for it, didn't even look. I just put it in there. Preach. We had a great service that day, I remember. I think Steve dismissed us in prayer, and I slipped back to the back like I usually always do. And shaking hands. Now listen to this. One of my men came up, shook my hand, put something in my hand. Listen to it. At the offering, God spoke to my heart, I was supposed to give you this. I said, thank you. Put it in my coat pocket. Two or three men later, Fella came, he shook my hand, had something. He said, at the offering time, God spoke to my heart, told me I was supposed to give you. I said, thank you. Put it in my pocket. Got out to the car and I told Virginia, I said, honey, remember I told you I was going to take you out to eat. I said, 
God asked me to give all my money in the offering today, and I did. She said, that's all right, we can go home. I said, no, we're going out to eat. I reached in my pocket. Didn't you know what it was? I said, here, see if that's enough for us to go out to eat on. I know it is because God wouldn't provide me with less than what I want to do to take you out to eat. She said, honey, it's two $100 bills. I said, I didn't have that kind of money in my billfold. <laughs> if I did, I had somebody else's britches on. I can tell you that right now. What I'm saying is, the reason that happens is because you're obedient to God. Your tires will last longer. Your kids don't get sick. Your carpet lasts longer. I mean, just everything. God will make your money go where you don't think it's going to go. So many people in our churches have month left at the end of the money. Are y'all hearing anything I'm saying? So we don't want you just to give to help us. We want you to give to get under the spout where the honey comes out. Let God be the one who controls what you do. Let me, let me tell you another story. I'll get to the message in just a minute. When we were in revival work, Virginia and I tried at least two weeks out of the year, one in the fall, one in the spring, we would give to a baby church, a brand new church or a small church that could not afford to have a full-time evangelist come in. God was very good to us the ten and a half years we were in revival work that we just didn't have cancellations. And two meetings, two revivals, right before that little brand new church, we had cancellations. I said, now dear God, you do understand that my kids still want to eat. I still have to put fuel in the truck. I've got to make the payment on it. I've got to pay for the trailer. And we had a 40-foot fifth wheel at the time. And I said, dear Lord, I mean, you, you could have stopped. Well, he rebuked me and he said, that's exactly right. Did you hear just what you said? I could have stopped that. But I didn't. Well, we had a great meeting. I was in Somerville, Georgia. Had a great meeting, brand new church. Meeting in an old body shop. You could still smell the Bondo and the paint. I mean, we as high as a kite when we left church at night. I mean, it was something. Mark Brown, the pastor, he's in heaven now. I think we had eight or nine people saved, two or three families joined the church. He gave me my love offering in an envelope. I put it in my pocket. He said, uh, boy, I wished it could be more. I thought, not near as much as I do. But I said, Mark, God knows. He rode back to their house with me in my truck. Virginia and the kids had already gone with his wife. and we, Our trailer was parked at their house. And and while I'm driving, God speaks to my heart. He says, give that love offering to the preacher. He needs it. I said, you know, in my mind, I'm saying, Lord, I don't know what this offering is, but he sure don't need it any more than I do. 
Lord spoke to my heart. Never out loud. God never speaks out loud. If he did, I'd drop dead. I said, Lord, I don't know if he needs it more than me. He said, that's true, but I know. <clears throat> so I, I didn't give it to him. We got there, and he went in the house, and I went in the trailer, and I said, honey, you're not going to believe this. She said, God wants us to give that love offering to Mark and his wife. I said, in the mouth of two witnesses, let it be established. I walked over and reluctantly knocked on the door. He came, and I said, here, Mark, I've signed the check. I said, it's for you and your family. He said, I can't take that. I said, you will or I'll sin against God. He started crying. They had a pressing, pressing, pressing need. And almost to the penny, that met their need. We went to our next meeting up in Chattanooga area, Red Bank. I got a package of mail on Friday from my mother and father-in-law in Garland. They get our mail. It would come to their house, and they'd ship it to us about every two weeks. Opened it up, and after I finished it and opened all the mail, we had over $5,000 that came in the mail. <laughs> my friend, my friend Tom Raper, who's with the Lord now, Tom said, a couple of weeks ago, Suzanne and I were sitting at the breakfast table and I said, we need to send John some money. Wrote out a check for $1,000. Sent it to him. See, we either believe God or we don't believe God. He either keeps his word or he doesn't. He's either truthful or he's a liar. And the amazing thing is, so oftentimes we live like God lies instead of trusting him. My children both went to college four years, graduated. Now listen to this. They graduated without one college loan. Their mom and I paid for it. And I didn't get a raise. The only time that I got a raise, listen to me, is when they got out of school and I didn't have to make payments anymore. I've never asked my church for a raise. Now I make sure my men are taken care of, my secretaries are taken care of, my teachers are taken care of. I never asked for a raise. My 33rd anniversary at the church, one of my deacons has been there with me all the time. He said, I remember when preacher came, we was going to talk to him about salary, and he wouldn't allow us to talk about salary. He said, I want to know if it's God's will for me to come. If it's God's will for me to come, then the salary will be right. That's been my philosophy all along. Can I be honest with you? I'd rather trust God to take care of me as Parkview Baptist Church to take care of me. Matthew 24, very quickly. I'm not going to preach. Oh, don't y'all start that with me tonight. Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is a difficult chapter unless you realize 
what Jesus is teaching here. He's teaching about the entire picture of His return. The second coming of Christ is actually in two separate events. The first one is the rapture of the church. Now listen to me very carefully. There are no signs to the rapture of the church. I think as we'll look at it tonight a little bit, I think that you can see that we have a lot of things happening now that we know about simply because of the ability of communication that we have now. You realize there can be a war start over in Tanganyiki and 30 minutes we'll know about it and have pictures through the satellite of it. We're the only generation, we're the first generation that's ever been said we could do that. At the rapture of the church, it's a secretive coming. That is, he is not going to come where every eye will see him. At the rapture of the church, he does not come in power and great glory. That happens later at the second advent. At the rapture, he comes, and according to Revelation chapter 4, he comes and he stops in the atmosphere and he gives a command, come up hither. As you study the book of the Revelation, you'll find that from chapter 4 down to the last chapter, the church is never mentioned after chapter 3 until the last chapter. Why? Because the church is not here during the tribulation period. As a matter of fact, the tribulation period cannot begin before the rapture takes place. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 bears out that that which is hindering the Antichrist from being revealed is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And His presence here in this life, in this world today, is the only hindrance to the Antichrist being revealed. But one day He's going to be taken away. When will the Holy Spirit be taken away? At the rapture of the church. He cannot go without us. Jesus in John 14 said, I'll not leave you by yourself. I'll leave you another comforter. He shall be with you and shall be in you forever. So if he leaves us here and he takes off, then he's left us. The Holy Spirit is here. He lives inside of you. He lives inside of me. He's in this world today. It's the Spirit of Christ that's in this world today. So the rapture is going to be for those that have been saved from the day of Pentecost all the way till the rapture of the church. The tribulation period, a length of time of seven years, doesn't start at the rapture of the church. It begins when the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with the nation of Israel that he will protect them for seven years. From that signing of that peace treaty, I can promise you this, seven years from that day, the second coming of Christ will take place because he talks about Daniel's 70th week. 
the time of, of the of Gentiles. It'll, it's a length of seven years. So therefore, we have the rapture, we have the signing of the peace treaty, then seven years of tribulation, and then the revealing of the Messiah. He then comes and sets up a kingdom that will last for a thousand years. Then Satan's going to be loose for a little season, having been confined to a bottomless pit, and then he's going to be taken. Revelation 20 says that he's going to be cast in the lake of fire where the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the false prophet are. Jesus has already thrown them in. And here he joins them there. And so both of these events are taught in Matthew chapter 24. Have you, ever, have you ever heard this little statement, question? What in the world is happening? My mother used to use part of that phrase. Sometimes it was John Winston Collier, what are you doing? But then she'd hear something sometimes on the radio or some preacher would preach and we'd get home and she'd say, boy, I just don't know what in the world's happening. I, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes on what in the world is happening. Notice verse 1 of chapter 24 of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, this is the second temple. The first temple was the temple of Solomon, the, uh, the building that Solomon built. Then it was destroyed over the years, and then uh, after Nebuchadnezzar came and besieged the city, they eventually destroyed the temple. And then under Herod the Great, a temple was rebuilt on the Temple Mount area in Jerusalem. And so this is that Herod's temple. Now, it has been destroyed. There will be a third temple. That's going to be built for Jesus to rule and reign on because the Bible says he'll rule and reign on his father David's throne and that was in Jerusalem. It's going to be rebuilt. Now notice verse 2. Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another. They shall not be thrown down. That took place in A.D. 70 when the Roman Emperor Titus came and they literally tore it down stone by stone because someone said the Jews put all their gold and diamonds and rubies and sapphires in between the stones. And so the Romans took it down stone by stone. Jesus just told them, there's going to come a time when one stone won't be set upon another. Oh, aren't you glad we serve a God who knows the end from the beginning? Glory to God. Now, and as he said upon the Mount of Olives, disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be? Now watch this. What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. So the disciples asked the Lord three questions. When shall the temple be destroyed? What shall be the sign of thy coming? And what shall be... The sign of the end of the world. When's that going to take place? The world that you and I are living in today has gone absolutely crazy. We live not only in a crazy world, but we live in a wicked world. Uh, every kind of sin imaginable is 
done in our nation. Let me, if Jesus doesn't come back soon, and I think he is, but if he doesn't, let me, let me make a prediction, all right? Not a prophecy, but because there are no prophets. But let me make a prediction. One of these days, pedophiles are going to say, we were born this way. And if you let the homosexuals say they were born that way, then you're going to have to let us be born that way. We want our rights just like the homosexuals got their rights. Murderers are going to say, you know, I, I was born angry. I couldn't help myself. I just shot the fire out of them. Give me my rights. Are y'all hearing anything I'm saying? Our, our sheriff in McLennan County, he, uh, uh, oh, a few weeks ago, he arrested, a, they, the sheriff's department arrested a pedophile. You, you do know what a pedophile is, don't you? All right, I don't have to explain it. The, the newspaper interviewed him, said, what'd y'all do with that man? He said, put the scumbag in jail. Somebody said, he shouldn't have said that. Well, run for sheriff and then don't say it. I'll be honest with you, whoever wants to have sex with a little child is a scumbag. But our world has gone nuts. Our priorities are so out of line with the will of God that I'm afraid that at times we don't even recognize what really is true and what really is important. All too often, Ah. Mark, I think I'm safe in saying this about the church here. All too often we have folks come to church, enjoy the singing, enjoy the preaching, but leave unchanged for God. Now, now listen to me. You don't ever come into a service and leave the same. Never. You're either closer to God, more open to God, more yielded to God, being used more by Him, or you're going backwards more. No middle ground. I'm not a mechanic by any stretch of the imagination. I know what you put water in the front, gas in the back, and the key in the middle. If it don't start, I'm afoot. But I do know this. I do know that there is no neutral in the Christian life. There is in an automobile, but there's not in the Christian life. Right now tonight, you're either closer to God tonight than you were last night, or you're sliding backwards. You can't tread water. The devil's current's too strong. Our flesh is too strong. Our spirit is too weak. We make mistakes. We come to church and come to church and listen and listen, and, but yet we, we, we don't get changed. I think sometimes it could be that we've made some type of decision and 
we didn't follow through with it, so we think, what's the use? Remember this. A child of God is never defeated until he stops trying. Though a righteous man be knocked down seven times, he shall rise. The number seven is God's number of completion. He said, you keep getting knocked down till you're dead, but you keep getting up as long as you're alive. Now, I want you to I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 12 real quick. Matthew chapter 12. And, and I want you to look down, if you would, at verse number 38. I listen to the radio, religious radio. I watch some television, religious television programs. I read all the time. I'm amazed at how many folks are excited about sign preaching. Boy, we're seeing these signs. Here's the amazing thing. If there's no sign to the rapture, quit looking at the signs. Because the signs are about the coming of Christ at the second advent. You won't be here if you're saved. So quit worrying about the signs. As a matter of fact, look at verse number 38. Then certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Master, we would see a sign of thee. But he answered and said unto them, Watch this, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. You know the story. God spoke to Jonah the prophet and said, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach to that wicked city and you tell them, if they don't repent, 40 days I'm destroying the whole shooting match. Now that's Collier's translation of that. I am going to utterly destroy them. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. I don't know how many times I've heard preachers say, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was scared of the Ninevites. And let me tell you something. They were people to be feared. The Ninevites were the, they were, listen, they were worse than ISIS. The Ninevites, when they would come and they would destroy a people in a town, in a city, in a village, they would take the people, now listen to this, they would decapitate them, they would boil their skulls, they then would take the boiled skulls, stack them at every entrance into the city. That was their calling card. The Ninevites have been here. Don't mess with us. They were vile. You read the entire book of Jonah and you'll find old Jonah after three days and three nights in the fish's belly and then he vomited him up. He goes there and preaches and they repent from the king to the lowest person. And God spared him. That's why Jonah did not want to go. He even said in chapter 4, he said, I knew you'd do that. I knew if I preached and you're anointing me, I, I, knew, I knew that they'd repent. I don't want them to repent. I want them to die and go to hell. He went out and sat under a vine. God sent a worm, make the vine up. 
listen to me very carefully. What he said is the sign of Jonas is that Jonas preached and revival came because they listened to the preacher, but he couldn't have preached if he had not, listen to me, had resurrected power. He was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. The Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And when He rises up again, He is that Messiah. He is Lord Jesus Christ. He is that one who said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore into all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded thee. Lo, I am with you always. Don't look for a sign. Listen for a shout. The sign is only the resurrection of Christ. But then I want you to go to chapter 25 and notice down in verse number 13. Now, Matthew 25 starts out with the uh, parable of the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. Now, here's what happens. All ten of these virgins, now don't, don't get caught up were they saved or were they lost. The Bible doesn't really deal with that. Here's what he says. Look down verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Who is the bridegroom? It's the Son of Man. It's the Lord Jesus. So here were these ten virgins. And they had their lamps. Five of them were ready, watch it, to meet the bridegroom when he came. Do you know who you are if you're saved? You're the bride. You're the bride. We're supposed to be ready when our bridegroom comes. Can you imagine a young couple getting married and, and, and everybody's at the church and everybody's dressed up, you know, they got new blue jeans on and got a clean shirt. I mean, they're, they're ready to get married and, and, and the bride's at Walmart shopping. Where's the bride? I'll be honest with you. If I was the bridegroom, I'd have second thoughts. If my coming and our wedding meant no more to her than for her not to be ready, I don't know if that's the kind of wife I want. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? The bridegroom came. Those five wives, they got up and they went to meet him. And you know what? They had a reward. The others didn't get their reward. Now, when you trust Christ as your Savior, and I'm talking about truly trust Him and receive Him as your Savior, you can't get lost if you want to. I had one guy say, well, I can take myself out of God. I said, who do you think you are? John chapter 10, Jesus said, no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. Are you a man? Yeah. Well, then you can't pluck yourself out of His hand. 1 John 2 says, brethren, if our heart condemn us, God's greater than our heart and knoweth all things. 
He knows who's trusted him and who hadn't. Let, let, let me show you something. This is so simple. Uh, we have our men at the church, many of us carry little rocks in our pocket. We don't have any in our head. So we, we take, and it's the Lord's our rock. In him we hide a shelter in the time of need. Every time you reach your hand in your pocket, the Lord's our rock. But anyway, I'm going to let this rock be my soul. I'm going to let this hand be Jesus. The Bible says that when I was saved, I was placed by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Question now, this is not a trick question. Where am I? I'm in Christ. I'm in the body of Christ. I'm in Christ. The Bible says that we are sealed, Ephesians, we are sealed until the day of redemption. And then in John 10, we quoted a while ago, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Now, were you saved as a whole family or was you saved as individuals in a family? Mm-hmm. Remember there in, in Acts 16, and the jailer came in and said to Paul, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And then he said, And thy house. There are some who say, Well, that's household salvation. Is not, is not, is not. What Paul was saying, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And if your household believes, they'll be saved too. Every individual has to receive Christ for themselves. So, I'm in Christ. It's an individual thing. Now, if Satan wants my soul and thinks he can get it, the first thing he has to do is kick God off the throne. He tried that once, and it didn't work. God cast him out of heaven and condemned him to hell forever. Now watch this. Let's just say for the sake of discussion, he knocks God off the throne. He then has to break the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now this is just for my soul. He'd have to do the same thing for Brother Mark's soul, Mary's soul. Now, where am I? Where does he have to come to get my soul? And if he got in the body of Christ, he'd be saved and wouldn't even want my soul. My soul is secure. I am saved and I am safe. Everlasting life. Eternal life. My dear friend, when I became a child of God, God put certain requirements on me. Now watch it. I don't have to do them. It's best for me if I do, but I don't have to. I can be like those foolish virgins. I can have the lamp. I can have the wick, but I'm not ready because I'm not doing with the lamp what the lamp is supposed to be for, and that's shedding light. We are the light of the world. Jesus were to come tonight would you be ready to meet him I'm not saying you wouldn't go to heaven I'm not saying that I'm saying would you be ready would you be embarrassed to meet him tonight you'd like to go clean some nasty movies out of your house and 
might get rid of some magazines, might want to do something about some habits, might want to do something about your temper, might want to do something about how you treat your wife, how you treat your kids. Are y'all hearing anything I'm saying? We've got to be ready. Why? He said, because in the hour that you think not, Son of Man cometh. Every time people say, you know, I, I don't know about this second coming, I say, glory to God. He's getting ready to come because they're not looking for him. Our nation is dying. Listen to me and tell you the reason why. Because God's people haven't been truly living like God's people for the last 40 years. We've told God we don't want you in the schools. We don't want prayer. I mean, we've gotten so bad, we don't even want Merry Christmas. We don't want the Ten Commandments in public places. We want to take in God we trust off of our coins, out of our buildings. We've gone nuts. Well, how did those people get in office? Folks like you and me didn't vote. In the last presidential election, listen to this, 55% of evangelical Christians that were eligible to vote did not even vote. That's why we got what we got. And we deserve what we got. I'm convinced, Brother Mark, if God's people would just start being God's people, revival would come. Remember what he said? My ear is not deaf that I cannot hear your prayers. Neither is my hand shortened that I can't reach down and save. But your iniquities have hid my face from you. Let's bow our heads and pray. We're not going to sing tonight. I'd like somebody to... Can we have some music we could play, Brother Mark, somehow to have some music back there, a CD or something? The altar's open tonight. What kind of, I don't want anybody to laugh about this, but what kind of virgin are you tonight? Is your lamp trimmed and ready? Sufficient oil, that's service. If we were going to have revival tonight and God was going to give it to us based upon what you're doing for Him in your life and testimony tonight, would we stand a chance of having revival? I love my children. I love my grandchildren. Let me tell you something. If I got a phone call tonight, Rhonda said, Dad, we've been in a wreck. We've had to rush the girls to the hospital to critical hurt. Daddy, would you get a hold of God for us? I don't want to have to spend a whole lot of time trying to make things right. Trying to write some letters. I want to be able to fall on my face before a holy God and say, Lord, my babies need your touch tonight. Why don't you come tonight and say, oh God, cleanse me tonight. Give him those habits. 
Give him that temper. Give him that ugly mouth. Give him that unbroken heart tonight. Let him break your heart for himself. Jesus said, if you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. Let's stand together, please. Just while they play, turn the music up just a little if you would. Come tonight. Do we stand a chance to have revival based upon yours and my relationship to God right now? While the music's playing, just slip out and come. We want to have a word of prayer with you tonight. While they play, would you come? Our Father, we're so needy tonight. Lord, we have so many needs, we don't even recognize the depth of them tonight in our nation, in our state, in our county, in our cities. But our Father, we do know that Jesus Christ is the answer. And our personal relationship with you, way beyond salvation, Lord, that's settled for eternity. But oh God, for us to be your children, made in your likeness, may people when they see us see a little bit of you, oh God. We're desperate, Lord. We are desperate. Father, the answer is not the right president. It's not the right new appointed justice of the Supreme Court. It's not getting a new Congress. It's us as your people coming, humbling ourselves before you, crying out to you, confessing our sin to you, O oh God, and then to go out and live Christ in our world. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Pastor. Somebody give God a praise. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. Hallelujah. How many got something out of that tonight? Give God a praise. Amen. You may be seated one second. Amen. Boy, ain't we so glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight. That we would be ready if Christ would come back. Pastor, I don't think you really realize what kind of outlaw you had in your church when you had me. And uh, I tell this story. I don't know if you remember or not, but when I got saved, I was working. Me and a guy had started up a business called Heart of Texas Carpet Cleaning. And, and man, we uh, started up this business, and, and uh, it did really well. We made $690,000 in nine months. That's a lot of money. We went to the George Strait team roping. We went all over the place. He gave me the keys to a, a new dually and said, here, it's yours. We had money. We partied like rock stars. I mean, we was in the club. He bought a beer joint. I was there every night. Man, we had money. Me and Mary had money. The kids had money. 
But when I got saved, I changed all of that and started going to church. Well, this guy was my friend, and we were really close, and I wanted to save him too. I did. I wanted to save him too. You know how many of you ever realize when you get saved, you want everybody to get saved? How many when you really love God, you want everybody else to love God the way that you want to? Huh? What about you, Kendra? You want your friends and family to get saved and love God the way that you love them? I know that I do. What about you, Craig? You want to tell everybody about Jesus. I know you do. I want to, too. Well, I started telling him about Jesus and what Jesus was doing in my life. And, and he said, shut up, man. Let's go get some beer. I said, no, man, I can't go tonight. I started to realize what kind of father I was to my kid, and I wasn't a very good one. I started to realize what kind of husband I was to my wife, and I wasn't a very good one. So I started making changes in my life. But I didn't let up on my friend, Holly. I just kept on inviting him to go to church. I kept on staying on him. And the more I did that, the more it seemed he hated me. He hated me. You ever been hated? I've been attacked since, I've ever, since I got saved. I started getting attacked. When I, I, knew, that, I, I knew that something uh, great was going to happen to me because they say when you're really going through hell, your breakthrough's right around the corner. Well, that happens to me all the time, so I just look for the breakthrough nowadays. I don't worry about the hell because I know the breakthrough is right around the corner. So, but back then I didn't understand it all. I didn't understand it all. And then it got worse, Tommy, and it got worse, and it got worse. Next thing you know, this guy's lying on me. Dennis Westerman, he led me to the Lord. We were doing a job at his house. My best friend, my brother. This guy lied on me to him. I come to church one night. Dennis says, man, me and you got to part ways. Ronnie told me you said this and this and this. I said, what? You were having church inside. Me and Dennis was hashing it out in the parking lot. We never came in the building that night. I loved him so much that I wouldn't let him not be my friend. I stayed there. I said, look, I would never do that to you. We hashed it out in the front seat of his car. Next day, I asked Pastor if I could come see him. I don't know if you remember this or not, but I remember it so well. I was so mad. And I only knew how to do I only knew how to do things my way, not God's way. I didn't know how to pray for people or pray for myself. But I knew I could talk to my pastor and he would pray for me. He said, come see me. And I don't know if you remember this. I remember like it was yesterday. I went in there and he said, he said, Pastor got the big old desk now. And I was sitting on the other side of that desk. And, and he said, what's the matter? I said, look, man, I'm, I, I'm working for this guy. And we used to be friends, but. I asked him if he wanted to get saved and know Jesus, and he, he told me that Jesus killed his mom and he'd never get saved. He'd never follow Jesus. And he said he wouldn't have anybody in his life that did. And I said, he's making my life hell. And preacher, I want to tell you something. If something don't change, I'm going to beat the brakes off of it. And I don't want to go back to prison. That's the conversation I had with my preacher. Preacher, I'm probably going to kill him because I was so mad. And when, back then, when you don't know any better, you only know how to do the things you did for so long. And I was upset, mad, angry. Preacher said, that's all right, man. We'll, we'll just sit God on him. I said, we can do that? He said, oh, yeah. We'll just, we'll just sit God on him. 
And the preacher said, bow your heads. And we grabbed hands, and we was on the other side of the table. And I'll never forget, he had hands there, and I had hands there. And he started praying. And I, I preach, I'm not going to make this up. I'm not going to, this is the truth. I preach this all over the world when you're not around. Preacher started preaching. Lord, whatever you got to do to this man, I pray you wake him up, Lord. Shake him from the inside out, Father. If you got to strip one of his kids from him, if you got to kill somebody that he loves to bring him to you, Father, take his kids, take his wife, take his money, take everything from him.